please. Exodus chapter 5. Exodus chapter 5 and verse 1. And let's start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're thankful to be here in your house today. Lord, there's no better place to be than to be here with you and uh, your people. And I just thank you so much for, um, Lord, the fact that you did die on the cross for our sins. And Lord, through you, we can have a, a better life. We can have a better home. We can have better family, better children. Lord Jesus, I'm just so thankful, Lord, that you've given us a road map to follow. Pray, Lord Jesus, you please bless this message. May your hand of mercy be upon me as I speak. And Lord, may I speak only the things that you'd want me to. In Jesus' name, amen. I read this passage in Exodus chapter 5. All right, let's kind of go back for here for a second. Where are we at in Exodus chapter 5? If you take Exodus chapter 5 and you were talking to a 5-year-old, what would you explain to them? Um, I think Exodus chapter 5 is the beginning of uh, basically the – what was that? heard something. hope there's no alarm or anything. But Exodus chapter 5 talks about the beginning of the Jewish history. And we find here in Exodus where Joseph uh, – actually – the end of Genesis, we find that Joseph was what? He was the second in command to Pharaoh. He was somebody important, right? And what did he do? He brought his family out of Israel, and they stayed into, uh, they came to the land of Egypt, and they were there for how many years? Anybody know? There was about 400 years, wasn't there? 400 years that they were in this land of Egypt. Now, a lot of people don't realize this, but they take the idea of Egypt and they equate it to something. Does anybody know what that equation is to? What is Egypt always considered in the Bible? Sister Kim? Okay, or the world. Okay, Egypt could be the world. And so I read this passage and I got to thinking about this whole idea of Egypt and what these children of Israel have been through. Now, granted, they were in the situation here that they did not put themselves into. Uh... I believe God used this in a mighty way. Joseph obviously brought them up out of the land. God brought them to this land, and they lived in the land of Goshen. And these children of Israel got so mighty that they literally were scaring the Egyptians because they thought, wait a minute, what happens if we get to the point where we fight someone and the uh, Jewish people fight against us? We're toast. We can't allow this to happen. So what did they do? He says, we're going to enslave these people. We're going to put them in bondage. And that's exactly what they did. I kind of wonder what was going through their mind. I'm sure they had some of the same liberties that we have today before they were put into bondage. But as they were dealing with the situation, they allowed it to happen. The world does the same thing to you. Sometimes we're put in a situation. The Bible tells us to be what? Of the world or in the world, but not what? Of it. And as a Christian, it's very easy to become subdued by the things of this world, uh, whether it be advice or an understanding. People are always going to try to convince you to go in contrary nature to what the Bible teaches, especially today. You look around you. There is no I heard this the other day, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm not ashamed to say this. I think this is awful. 
In California, they passed a bill just recently that said it was okay for a person that is underage to have illicit relationships with someone that's 10 years older. So an 11-year-old person could have an illicit relationship with a 20-year-old person. I tell you what, I'm going to stand here and tell you that's wrong. That's wicked. That is wicked. Why has it become like this? Why is our society so bent on turning against the thing that God wants? Well, we know that society today is all bent upon what? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. They're given into those type of ideas. Why? Because they don't have the Holy Spirit who's convicting them and nurturing. In Exodus chapter 5, verse 1, here's Moses standing before Pharaoh. It says, And afterward Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. I see that phrase and I say that is literally what people today are dealing with. They're constantly being bombarded by what? People who don't want to let it go. They want to keep on drawing them into this uh, fleshly nature. They want to keep on drawing them into an attitude of, of unrighteousness. The world today, they glorify uh, sexual relations. They glorify uh, um, uh, immorality. They glorify all these things. And it's not just recent. You can go back as far as the 40s and the 50s and you can see how they've completely tried to demoralize the Christian. How do we as Christians deal with this? How do we say to Satan and the world, let my people go? How do we get so involved in the world but yet not be part of it? Well, I think the Bible gives us some very good understanding of that. First of all, I want you to think about something. It's only three points, but I think they're they're going to be potent points. Number one, Satan has a grasp on the world today. You think about it. I mentioned just a couple of examples. And I look at those examples and I say, how, does it, how do we get to this point? How do we allow this to happen? And I really think it believe, I believe it starts with right here. Christians need to be salt and light. The reason why oh, we've allowed for things to continue is because not enough Christians have stood up and said, no, that's wrong. What happens when the Holy Spirit comes into this world? It's supposed to what? It's supposed to change people, right? But too many Christians have dampened the Holy Spirit. Too many Christians have stopped the Holy Spirit from speaking. And when the Holy Spirit tells them that something's wrong, they don't stand up against it. What's some of the risk that happens when you stand up against wrong in today's society? You can be blacklisted, can't you? They can say, I'm sorry, I don't want to give you a job, right? What happens when they see uh, you on YouTube or you on Facebook saying this is wrong? They can come around and say, no, you're, you're wrong. I'm not going to hire you. I'm going to take away your job. I'm going to talk to your employer. I'm going to destroy you. That's the goal, isn't it? Satan wants it. Oscar's experienced that, haven't you, Brother Oscar? Oscar drives her Uber on the, on, uh, the week. And he literally had some people make some accusations because he is constantly being a witness and telling people about Jesus Christ. Listen to me. As a Christian, it's very easy to become subdued by this world. They, they can be your master. They can subdue you to a point because Satan's got a grasp on it. And it's an iron-fisted uh, grasp. 
as a Christian, how are we ever going to see change? How are we ever going to be able to get away from some of the rioting? How are we ever going to get away from some of the looting? How are we going to get away from all this disunity in this country? Because we need something to unify around. And the only thing that really unifies people is the love of Jesus Christ. Don't tell me. Don't tell me that God doesn't do a love, a work in people's hearts. I got Brother Sam sitting over here. God do a love in your a work in your heart, Brother Sam. He sure did. I think of my own dad's heart. You know what? He was a Lutheran, and even though he had the same type of spirit that was of the world, he had a guy at, at his workplace who told him, Hey, listen, this is not the way to live. Let me show you something different. And through this man's witness, my father accepted Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. Why is that? Because the man was not afraid of Satan's grasp. He knew that he had to be faithful to what God had given him to do, and that is being a witness. What is this church going to do in this community? Are we just about giving out food, or we're just about trying to help people with their physical needs? Don't get me wrong, I think we should help in those areas. But listen to me, as a Christian, our responsibility, number one, should be what? Standing up for salt and light and warning others. If we don't do it, who will? If we don't stand up for the right, if we don't stand up for what Christ and the truth says, who will? Satan's got a strong grasp. And he's constantly squeezing harder and squeezing harder and he's squeezing harder and he's literally choking the life out of your friends and your family and your neighbors. Why? Because he knows he's got them. The Bible's very clear who their daddy is. Their daddy is of the devil and the lust of their father he will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh his own for he is a liar and the father of it. John eight forty four says. When you stand before your friends and your family, you're literally bailing them out of the fire when you're witnessing to them. You're giving them the opportunity to turn to Jesus Christ. We have this vacation Bible school, not just for the edification of our children, which is important, but we also have it so that we can also reach our friends and our family. There's a reason why we try to reach people. Listen, God loves you and He loves everyone around you, but He doesn't like sin. He hates sin. And if you're going to continue to be uh, the person that steps back and says somebody else will do it, listen to me, your friends and your family, you're doing them a disservice. You're literally allowing them to continue on a pathway that's towards destruction. If you had a friend or a family that you knew that was taking down a path that was going to lead them to death, what would you do? Would you just stand by the wayside and say, well, hey, you know what, that's their problem. No, it's not. It's your problem. The Bible's very clear that we are what? To be people that are what? Loving others. The Bible says, do good to them what? That what? Despitefully use you. And as a Christian, Satan's grasp is strong. Turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 3. We look at Pharaoh and we look at what he's done to society, or uh, Satan, what he's done to society. He's no different than what Pharaoh Pharaoh has done. He's literally grasped society to what he wants. Verse 3 of chapter 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 3 says, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. 
lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine into them. Satan's grasp is literally blinded people. They are continually blinded by the, the gospel. Why? Because Satan's got that grasp on him. We are a society that is continually infatuated what other people think of you. How many came here this morning? Don't raise your hand. I'm not asking for a confessional. But how many came here because you wanted to respect somebody else's wishes? If you came here for that reason, and not because you love Jesus Christ, listen, you're here for the wrong reasons. If you just came to please someone, listen to me, you're in the, you're in the wrong place. As Christians, we should be more concerned about what Christ thinks than what others think. Christ is what exactly this church needs. Listen to me, if you're not saved here and you don't know Jesus Christ, your Savior, I'm talking Greek to you. I'm giving you something that you don't understand. Well, listen to me, God loves you, He died for you, He shed His blood for you, and He is willing to forgive you. All you have to do is turn to Him. Think about some of the people through the ages that have, dawned, that have gone through some serious things. I think of Billy Sunday. How many know who Billy Sunday is? Billy Sunday was a professional ball player. You say, really? Yep. He was a professional ball player in the 1920s. And he was, he was so, he was, he was really good. He actually, they, he would run the bases so fast. He could steal so many bases. He was amazing. He actually played for the Chicago, well, they're called them the Chicago White Stockings, but they're actually the Chicago, the current Chicago Cubs of today. Was, Billy Sunday was a wicked man. He had lived in, in Chicago. He had lived that lifestyle. And he was a professional ball player. And while he was out drinking one night, they had this wagon that came by his, his tavern. It was called the Gospel Wagon. I love that. The Gospel Wagon. What they would do with the Gospel Wagon, they would have one person that would get up and preach. And then they would have people that would get up on this wagon and they would sing, a, sing hymns and songs and spiritual praise to God. And as he sat there in that drunken stupor after being uh, uh, intoxicated by the liquor... He heard the gospel preached and he knew he wasn't saved. Literally, Billy Sunday came forward and he accepted Jesus Christ as his personal Savior at that point. Didn't stop there. You know that Billy Sunday closed the majority of the uh, taverns through his preaching, uh, by his preaching, through the, through the Holy Spirit convicting people? The only place, the only place they, now this is interesting, the only place that he didn't close down, where do you think it was, Eric? Chicago, the only place that didn't go dry during that time. This is during the time of Prohibition. Now you say, that's some power, isn't it? What happened? Billy Sunday, God spoke to his heart and reached him and brought him to a point of understanding. And listen to me, God can do the same thing for your neighbors and your friends as they're being grasped and choked out by the wickedness that's coming around. Satan wants us to think like a slave, just like Pharaoh. What was Pharaoh doing? He was literally, he was literally telling these people, you are my slave, you are my op property, you are my uh, 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 possession. And as a Christian, listen to me, you can very easily be drawn back into that idea. Well, I have to do this, right? You think about whatever sin you commit. Young men, if you're out there and you're seeing something you shouldn't see, you're on the internet and you see something you shouldn't see, listen to me. It's important to understand that you are no longer a slave to sin if you are saved today. You don't have to give in to that internet. You don't have to give in to that pornography. 
You don't have to give into that lust. You don't have to give into that attitude of says, I have to do this. No, say, Jesus Christ has saved me. Jesus Christ will keep me. When you look at what God wants for your life, listen to me, he's got something much more. Pharaoh hates your guts. Pharaoh wants to see you something that is not right. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7. He wants to treat you like a slave. You think about a slave and what he's going through. Turn there, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. You think about what a slave goes through. What do they go through? They literally are constantly bombarded by what? The thought that they are not their own. They're constantly bombarded with the thought that they have no freedom. They have no choice. And so what happens to them? Well, I think there's some things that come up. Anger. Bitterness. Wrath, no hope. Those are things that a slave will develop in their lives. Listen to me. Are you a slave to sin or are you a servant to Christ? When God looks down and he says, boy, I'm sure pleased with that person. They are living like they should. They're surrendered to me. They're doing their will. Do they look down and he says, boy, that person is still following his old master Satan. I see such an epidemic of bitterness today in society. And a lot of it starts here in the church. You know, I see Facebook, and I'll keep preaching on it. You people might not like it, but I'll keep preaching on it. Facebook is just awful. I try to use it to the best of my ability to reach people for Jesus Christ. But people get on Facebook, and they have such vitriol, such hate, such guile. You say, why is that? Because they're, they're behind that screen and they just have that, they're just spewing all kinds of, uh, uh, I, I, excuse my, my illustration, but vomit. It's gross. And you say, why is that? Because there's a lot of bitterness and anger out there. Just talking to a guy recently. And I told him, I says, look, you don't need to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, verse 6. Sometimes it's better off, as Brother Kenny mentioned, it's better off. That we don't. Matthew chapter 7 verse 6. It says. Give not that which is holy unto dogs. Neither cast ye your pearls before swine. Lest they trample them under their feet. And turn again and rend you. Listen to me. As a Christian you need to be careful. That you're not saying things. Now I'm, I'm not trying to be contradictory here. And I'm not trying to be uh, someone that's. Uh, uh, going back in what I already said. I think you need to be salt and light. But what is it to do it personally? You know, you can say things on the internet all the time, but when you say it to their face, there's a big difference, isn't there? Have you ever done that, Andrew? Told, told someone something to their face and it's just a totally different thing? Sometimes it gets a little bit out of control, doesn't it? People get a passionate. But you know what? People hide behind that monitor and they say all kinds of bitterness and anger and hatred. It really shows what kind of person they are. And you say what? You say, how do you deal with that? Listen to me. You're no longer a slave to sin. In first, uh, chapter, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, But we have this treasure in earth and vessels that is the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side. Listen to this. Yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Listen to me. If you're a servant to Jesus Christ, you're going to suffer persecution. You're going to have people that are going to hate you for your stand and for your cause. But listen to me. You're not going to be, you're going to be persecuted, but you're not going to be perplexed. 
You're going to be disappointed, but you're not going to be let down. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the goal in your life. The love for Jesus Christ, standing for Jesus Christ. God is going to change your spirit. God's going to change your, your attitude towards others. Sometimes Christians, I think, get into a, a, a pattern in their lives that says, well, you know, so-and-so said this about me, so I, I don't think I'm going to say that anymore. Oh, talk to them. Spend time with them. The only way a person's going to see your difference is how you act, your testimony. Too many people follow people on Facebook or follow people on YouTube because they have a good message. But listen to me. The best message you can have is your example of life. When you walk around with a Christian uh, spirit and attitude and people can see how you act at the gas station as well as at church, that's what's going to make the difference. I wonder how many times your neighbors can look at you and say, boy, that person is always there on Sunday morning. That person is always there on Thursday night. That person's always talking about Jesus Christ. Whenever you see them, they're always giving the gospel. They're always talking about their Heavenly Father and loving on their Heavenly Father. Why? Because you have a testimony. There's a difference between someone that's not. If you're so inconsistent, boy, I tell you what. The other day we had a situation here at church, and I ask your forgiveness. There was a man that we had used as a business partner, or not business partner per se, but he had worked on the church. And he had put a huge sign out there advertising some type of political person. And I couldn't believe it. We had uh, got somebody here at the church that says, hey, did we, did we approve this? And I said, no. And it looked, showed me a picture. Boy, I, I wanted to get mad. I want to lose my grits, you might say. I want to just give that guy a piece of my mind. The Holy Spirit spoke to me. says, you know what, Harold? You're still a testimony. You still need to do what's right. No matter what the other people do to you, you still need to stand for truth. You need to stand for right. See what I did? Called the guy and says, hey, I disagree with this. I texted him. I says, please take it down. I says, this is, we don't, we don't. We don't advertise political. He called me back. He says, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't know. Now, whether this is the truth or not, I still had a right to treat him like Christ, didn't I? I still had a right to do the right thing. I'm no longer a servant to sin. I'm no longer a servant to this world. I have to be different. The world today gets it enough. They see what Satan's caused on their family. They see what Satan's caused on their friends. They see what the world gives. And it's not pretty. As a Christian, you need to be so different. You need to be so different that people take notice. The Bible says here that we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. There's going to be all kinds of trouble, but listen to me. Through Jesus Christ, you're going to be a different person. Satan not only thinks, he, he wants us to still think like a slave. Listen to me, Satan wants us to believe that we have no worth. You think about those Jews as they sat under that uh, uh, that dictatorship of Pharaoh as they sat under them and had to deal with that. Listen to me. We have to remind ourselves that our Redeemer paid the highest price for us. Isn't that great? If you walked into a store and they said, hey, I, I, I have an Apple Watch, but let's just say this is a Rolex, okay, Brother Sam? Just for example, okay? Let's say it's a Rolex, all right? How much is a Rolex? Anybody know? Is it 1000 a thousand or more, I think. I think some of the cheap ones are like four or five grand. Well, let's just say I had a Rolex here, right? 
and it's sitting display. And uh, let's say Brother Sam comes out to me and he says, uh, Brother Harold, how much for that Rolex there? Fifty bucks. Now, what would you say, Brother Sam, if I told you that Rolex is fifty bucks? Now, if you're a gullible person, you might say, Yeah, that's a good deal. You can't be what those things are four or five thousand dollars. Then you got your conspiracy nuts in here, right? Brother, you go, wait a minute. Wait a minute. The critical thinkers, right? Wait, 50? That's a fake. So you're looking it over. You're taking it out. You're trying to see, is this really a Rolex, right? I remember when there was a guy when I worked at the dealership, he would come in selling fake Rolexes. And boy, did they look good. They look just like the Rolex. Uh, whoa, that's pretty neat. But listen to me. The reason why you had that question in the back of your mind is because the offer was what? So cheap, wasn't it? Your Redeemer paid the highest price for you, didn't he? He paid with his son's blood, didn't he? Isn't that something to thank God for? Do you think if God really thought you were worthless, do you think he would send his only begotten son to die for you? Listen to me. Satan's grasp is not only on the world, but it's on the people of God. Too many people of God, they've been put through the ringer by Satan. They've been destroyed by Satan. And they say, God can't use me. No, he can. That's the thing. God loves you and he died for you. And he's just willing like the prodigal son, come back. Come back. I want more for you. I got more for you. There's so much that the Redeemer has paid for you. Secondly, not only we have to remind ourselves that it's the highest price that was paid for us, but secondly, who paid the price? Who paid the price? Jesus Christ did, didn't he? Amen. I'm, I'm surprised we don't have people jumping up and down and saying, Woohoo! You're right. Listen to me. God saved you. And how did He save you? He saved you by His Son's blood. That's exciting. No greater love than a man have this than a man lay down his life for his friends. You tell me how exciting that gets you. You might change your spirit a little bit about how your witness is going to be. You say, boy, if Jesus Christ thought that I, my, my, wife, my life was so worthy to send his only begotten son to die for me, shouldn't I be excited about living for him? I preached a message not too long ago about the constraining or conforming. Which one are you? Are you conforming to what everybody else is doing? Or are you constraining by the love of Jesus Christ? Listen to me. If you're not constraining by the love of Jesus Christ, what are you doing? You're conforming, aren't you? You're not doing it because Jesus Christ loved you and died for you. As it says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, God committed His love toward us and that while we were what? Yet sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't that exciting? Doesn't that want to surrender and say, God, I want to go further. I want to do what you want me to do. I want to be faithful to what you've given me to do. Not only does Satan think, because he's got this grasp on us, that he can believe that we're no worth, but he wants you to believe that you're all alone in this world. There's a lot of lonely people here. I'm not saying here in this church, but in this world. Your neighborhood. We had a young couple that came here. Not young couple, I should say. Young young uh, family that came in here. Some friends of our church members. They travel an hour and a half. Now, I think 50 minutes is a long drive. An hour and a half is even longer. And I think, wow, why would they come all the way out here? They want to talk to someone. 
They want to have spend some time with someone. They love, They know someone here loves them and cares for them and wants more for them. How about you? What's your Christian life look like? Are you like Satan and you're believing that you're all alone in this world and nobody's here to help you? The Bible is very clear that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. The Bible also tells us that God will never what? Leave us or forsake us. There's one person that God left and forsook. Anybody know who that was? Jesus. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And he did it for who? You and me. Now that's something powerful. That should get your exciter excited. Jesus Christ died for you and loved you so much that he even allowed for God the Father to turn his back on you, on him. He did it for you. Jesus is never going to leave you, forsake you. If you're not saved near you, you say, boy, I'm lonely. I struggle with uh, loneliness. I struggle with the ability to, uh, to have some type of, of fellowship. Listen, Jesus is there for you. You say, what are you talking about, Pastor? What are you talking about? I'm saying Jesus loves you and he's going to be there for you when you accept him as your Savior. He will take care of your every need, but you have to trust in him. Not only does God say that he'll never leave us or forsake us, but he also told us that he's going to send us his comforter. Comfort, which is the Holy Ghost, and the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I command you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. The Bible is very clear about that, right? Who is our comforter? The Holy Ghost. He's coming. Now, I was talking, I was Brother Sam was talking to Brother Eric over here, your, your long-distant cousin, you know, the Garcia family. Uh, but I was talking to him about the, the tongues movement, right? And I, maybe I'm wrong, but I would think that there is something more powerful than just tongues. I would think if you're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, one of the things that you'll get excited about is the comfort that he gives you. I mean, I think that's just completely disposed of a lot of times. But the Holy Spirit is there to comfort you, guide you, direct you. How many have a best friend in here? Anybody? Brooklyn, who's your best friend? Me, right? Oh, she goes like this. Dad got shot down. Not the best friend. Oscar, you got a best friend? All right, that's what I thought. You better have said that, brother. Yeah, Oscar's got his wife back there. Now, you think about how much you love your wife, Oscar. And uh, Miss Raina loves brother Oscar. But, you know, when you were married, what happened before you were married? I know this because my, my dad chaperoned a lot of your dates. Yeah, you kind of had to keep your distance, right? There was no hugging and kissing and, and all that good stuff. Right? You were separated from each other. But when you got married, what happened? Two became what? One flesh. And when you get saved, the Bible compares it to that uh, bride of Christ that you are. You now no longer are alone. You see Mr. Oscar, who are you going to see not too long afterward? Miss Raina. When you see my wife, who are you not going to see very much long afterward? Me. Why? Because we're married together. We're the same, we're now the same person. Uh, people, some people today say, well, you know, the women's rights movement says you shouldn't take a husband's last name. But you know what? It's kind of declared in a Christian principle. Why do they call us the same person? Why is she Mr. and or Mrs. Harold Teasdale? Because we're one. We're the same. God has given us the same thing. I love that verse that says uh, that he, he, is, he is never going to leave us or forsake us. Now, God... Satan not only has a grasp 
by telling us that we're going to be alone, but he also has a grasp because he's used his minions to indoctrinate us. I'm going to stop here just for a second. Just for a second. I want you to think about it. How much time do you sit in front of your television? How much time do you watch? I don't even have my phone on me. How much time do you sit looking at your phone? How much time? And I'm not saying just time that you read your Bible, but how much time do you spend with God? The minions out there, he, they, they got you, don't they? They're constantly taking every time, little piece of, uh, of time that you have. I preached a message one time on the idea of your time like money in the bank. And uh, um, Angelica, can you imagine if you had a million dollars to spend every day? But you had to spend it all within the same day. And every day a million dollars would come back in your bank account. Brother Sam's like, where can I get a deal like that? <laughs> and every day another million dollars shows up, but you have to spend it. Now, I don't know about you, uh, Brother Glenn. I, I know Brother Glenn. If he were to go out there and he were to have a million dollars in his bank account, he would spend every last penny of that million dollars. Why? Because it's gone. It's either wasted or don't waste it, right? What about your time? You're given 24 hours within a day. Are you going to waste it or are you going to use it? Too many Christians have taken the idea that movies and TV are more important. The news is more important. They are too many times connected to unregenerated educators, educators. They have friends in this world. They have unsafe family. They filled up their time with everything besides what God wants them to have. And then they wonder why their family is the way it is. Then they wonder why they don't have any desire to read the word of God. Then they wonder why they can't be convicted of sin. Then they wonder why they can't re reach others for Jesus Christ. It all rounds about what they've uh, grasped. They've indoctrinated themselves with the th cares of this world. All right. Satan's grasp allows him to enslave us in our action. The Bible is very clear that we are to what? Now yield our members instruments of what? Righteousness unto holiness. Once you get saved, it doesn't mean that you're done uh, uh, sinning. Because you will continue to sin. Nobody in here is perfect. But listen, that doesn't mean that you have to sin. Romans chapter 6, 1 and 2, what does it say? Oh, I got you there, don't I? Anybody know what that verse says? Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. If you don't know it, get to it. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? What does the Bible say? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Listen, when you stand before God someday, you're going to say, God, well, you know, I wanted to do the right thing, but I couldn't. You know, God, I, I really tried, but I couldn't. The Bible says, listen to me, our bodies are now to be used for the right thing. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I'm sure some of you know that one, right? If I start you out, does it make say it? I beseech. Therefore, brethren... By the mercies of God that you present your bodies, what? A living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is not just a service. It's your reasonable service. And be there conformed to this world, or be not conformed to this world, but what? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that perfect and acceptable will of God. Now listen, 
God wants us to make sure that we not no longer take the actions that dictate us to do the wrong thing. The Bible also says that what? Whose actions you are doing, that is who you're following. The, list, the person that you're listening to is the person that you're going to follow. My children, they know my voice. I would hope so. You get in a crowd of kids. Ever done this? You get in a crowd of kids and they call out, Mommy. It amazes me every time. You say, the mom will just perk up. I love it. You get in a park and someone says, Mommy. And there's five mommas running. Why? Because they look for, they listen for their, for their child's voice. It's amazing. But you know what? I can tell. My kids are looking. If you, if you, especially when they're little. You ever seen them do this? They come up and they grab the wrong person. They grab their knees. They're not looking up. They think it's the same person. Me and my brother are like um, literally two peas in a pot. Uh, if you look at my brother sometimes, they get confused. This morning, my brother was at my house. Uh, I know. He's from Washington State. Yes, he did fly in last night. But he was at my house uh, yesterday, and, and he was there this morning, and, and uh, when he was there, the kids got up, and Chloe says, what's dad doing sitting there talking to my, our, uh, Andrew, our, our cousin? And then they realized, oh, that's Uncle Andy. Why is that? Because they, I look a lot alike, right? And listen to me, as a Christian, when I uh, accept Jesus Christ as my Savior, I know who my daddy is by the actions that I do. If you're still living in sin, listen to me. Who really is your daddy? That's right. All right. Satan's grasp allows us to endanger ourselves. Pharaoh had no love for the Jews. If Pharaoh really loved the Jews, what would he have done with their children? What, if he wanted to kill them? People today think that abortion's okay. I remember getting in a debate about this. I, they, they try to get you on it because, Brother Sam, I'm a man. I can't have kids, right? Would you, if your wife was ever... Uh, and I'm not trying to be crude here, but if your wife was ever uh, impregnated by a man that did it the wrong way, would you would you commit an abortion? And I looked at him and I says, that's her decision. But if I had that decision to make, I would say no, and I would encourage her not to. Why? Because abortion, no matter which way you cut it, is wrong. You go out there and you commit a murder? What does it happen when a, when a woman's out there and someone commits a murder and they kill the baby with it? What do they call it? They don't give them one count of murder. What do they do? They give them two counts. Why? That baby was in the womb. Oh, it's just a fetus. It's just a blob of flesh. No. That's literally another human being inside. And as a Christian, listen to me. We, Pharaoh hated the Jewish people. He hated them to a point where he wanted to kill their own children. Listen, this devil's no different. He hates you. He doesn't want the best for you. He wants to see your destruction. Think about this. When he came to earth, what happened, uh, Brooklyn? Satan came to earth. What did he try to do? What was his first desire? He was wanting to destroy Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve was God's uh, pride and joy. He loved them. What was Satan's first desire? To destroy them. Satan knows his end is near and he wants to make sure that you can go with him. He wants to make sure that everything that God's trying to create here on this earth is taken away. 
And listen to me. Satan wants to see our families destroyed. When we give in to the things of the flesh, listen to me. You're literally saying, devil, go ahead. Do what you want with my family. Now, not only does Satan have his grasp, but number two, we have God's grace. Satan might have some grasp, but you know what? There's something more powerful than Satan's grasp, and that's God's grace. God's grace extends the worst of the worst. The Israelites had forgotten God. They'd forgotten who God was. And so what happened? God loved them even in the midst of their sin, even in the midst of them forgetting them. I don't care how offensive you are towards God, God still loves you. He still cares about you. He still wants the best for you. But you have to turn to Him. God loves you. He's giving you an invitation every day for you to follow Him. Number two, God is in your corner and will fight for you. I remember, Eric, when I was a little kid. Didn't happen a lot. But there was a few times when my brother would fight for me. You, you don't have an older brother, do you? So you don't know how this is. My, my older brother, even though we are about the same height, I remember one time, now some of you have the same, same, same coincidence. I remember one time we were, we were all wrestling in a wrestling team, and there were some kids that were just outright jerks. I mean, they were literally those type of kids that you just didn't want anything to do with. And I remember this kid come up and he was trying to pester me and bother me and treat me wrong. I remember my brother coming out of nowhere saying, leave him alone. Boy, I tell you what, that family pride started going like this. Right? Why? That's my brother. That's my brother right there. Right? Can you imagine when God fights for your battles? Can you imagine what's going to happen when you get excited about what God's going to do to you? The Bible says in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8, what does it say? He that commits sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might what? Destroy the works of the devil. Amen? God is on your corner. He's willing to fight for you. You just got to turn to him. God wants your best in your life. Everybody should memorize this verse because it has been such a blessing to me. Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11 says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Listen to me. God's got something in store for you. And you go to the store and when you're a little kid and you remember mom saying, Mommy, can I have a piece of candy? Can I get a piece of candy? Especially you go through that counter and they got all the candy bars over there on the side and Snickers and Kit Kats and Twix, or, uh, uh, Twix and, and uh, Ho-Hos and Ding Dongs. They got them all over there. And you, you go by that counter. Esther probably does this every time. I'm sure he just, she's got Attila wrapped around his fing, her finger, right? And you go through that counter and she's like, Daddy, can I have a Twix? Sure, whatever you want. Right? No, I'm just kidding. My, I, I have five little girls and now a little boy. And if we go through the, through the counter and we buy everybody something, I might as well just forget about having a savings account because it's just going to break me every time, right? I, I tell you what, the biggest thing about having a big family is going through Wendy's and spending 50 bucks. It's amazing. I'm like, how in the world? This, all this money is just for a hamburger and fries. All right, I'm moving on. God wants the best for your life. He wants to give you an expected end. And just like I was giving the illustration of how you go through that drive-thru or you go through that, uh, that counter and you're expecting for mommy and daddy to give you that, God is going to do that for you. You're expecting for God to provide. You're expecting for God to uh, give you that understanding. 
And number three, last point, God's grand plan. God's grand plan. God gives us a grand plan because he wants us to realize that he's not just leaving us here on this earth to suffer for his name, but he's got something better for us. You think about this for a second. We get to heaven, the Bible says it's our what? The grand, the glo- I'm sorry, the glorious what? Glorious, H-O, hope. The glorious hope. Now, I don't know about you. There's very three things in my life that are glorious. I, I love my family. They're glorious. I love my church. They're glorious. But glorious, that's a pretty intense word. Why? Because it basically defines something that's splendid, something that's great, awesome, something that you just can't imagine. And that glorious hope of Jesus Christ's return is important. Our lives don't have to be filled with rage. Our lives don't have to be filled with anger. Our lives don't have to be filled with all these type of contraptions that set us up to go for a very miserable life. God does fulfill our joy. The Bible says that we enter into his rest. Turn to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11 verse 28. You say, how am I ever going to be able to be faithful to God and do God's will and be happy with it? Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, it says, Come unto me, all ye that what? Labor. And are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Isn't that great? Jesus Christ, maybe you're burdened with something. I got a burden today. Something that's really been bothering me. and An individual I've been praying about. I just take it to Jesus and say, Jesus, please help. And Jesus does. He gives you some solutions. He gives you some answers. He gives you some way about it. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 1, it says, Let us therefore, and this is through verse 12, it says, Let us therefore fear lest the promise being left us of entering to his rest, and any of you should seem of some sort of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith with them that heard it. For which we believe do enter into his rest, as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest, seeing therefore it remaineth, some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached enter not in because of unbelief. Again, he limiteth at a certain day, saying in David, Today, after so long a time, as it is said, Today, if you will hear, my, hear his voice, harden not your hearts. For if Jesus had, had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day? There remaineth therefore rest to the people of God. For he that entereth into his rest, listen to me, he also hath ceased from his own works as God did from his. Let us labor therefore and enter into that rest lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. God has promised us his rest. Not just here on this earth, but listen to me, someday we're going to stand before God's throne and we're going to be excited about what he's done for us. Some of us will be crying, realizing that we wasted our lives for him. I think a lot of us will be crying, believe it or not. But listen, let's make some commitments today to be faithful to him. Let's make some commitments to say, hey, I'm going to do what God wants me to do so that I'm not in Satan's grasp. I'm living for him. Let's stand together as the instrument plays. If God spoke to your heart.